Well, I'd like to title this message today, The Benefits of Meditation. I'd like to label my message this morning, The Benefits of Meditation. In the age of mental health, wellness, and mindfulness, meditation is a common thing that a lot of people talk about. In one sense, there's nothing new about meditation, nothing new at all. People have been doing it for centuries. They've been doing it for generations. They've been doing it for eons, from the ancient Egyptians, from the Persians, from those people that we know that practice the world religions of Hinduism and Buddhism. We can literally say that the practice of meditation is a worldwide phenomenon. It's so popular for several reasons. Uh, Even the Mayo Clinic lists some perks to meditating. Here's what they say on their website. Meditation increases self-awareness. It increases imagination and creativity. It increases patience and tolerance. Amen. It reduces negative emotions. It lowers blood pressures. And it improves sleep quality. Amen to that as well. Mayo Clinic also said something that was very interesting on their website. And they said that, Meditation originally was meant to help and deepen the understanding of the sacred and mystical forces of life. And I just thought that was an interesting way to phrase that, the language, to help deepen the sacred and the mystical forces of life. I believe in our passage this morning, if I can add a couple more benefits to meditation from the Bible. And I want to kind of be clear uh, about this because there are so many different variations of this exercise. So just so that we're singing the same tune, I want to provide some clarity, okay? So in some forms of meditation around the world, there is a a sense of, uh, you know, emptying the mind to achieve some type of higher consciousness of some sort. That's a common idea or a common thinking when it comes to meditation. Um, That's not what I'm referring to today. In fact, I'm actually talking about the complete opposite. Because when we look at the scriptures and we look at the Bible, I'm talking about filling your mind with God's word in such a way that anchors you in your soul and in your heart. Because when the storms of life come, you can be able to stand firm in the Lord. Amen? My main thesis for this sermon is meditating on the word of God produces growth. Meditating on God's word produces growth. So the first benefit that I want to submit to you is simply you will be happy. You will be happy. Now, that may sound kind of strange or weird, but verses 1 and 2 
The psalm starts off with a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. This is also repeated not only in the psalms, but also in the book of Proverbs. You see this language of the righteous and the wicked. And essentially, the psalmist is saying there's two different ways that you can live. You can live one that leads to flourishing, one that leads to goodness and happiness. But there's another way that you can live that can lead to destruction and falsehood and death. The psalmist writes, writes, blessed is the man, or woman for that matter, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What's fascinating is in the original language of Hebrew, the word blessed can be translated as happiness. That's why in the CSB version of the Bible, the Christian standard version of the Bible, it actually reads something like this, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked. You see, there's a type of lifestyle, there's a type of practice, there's a type of of actions that people can live in such a way. And the psalmist is saying that don't do these things. (laughs) But in contrast, do these things. One thing about the idea of um, not necessarily being around uh, wrong people, uh, negative people, right? Uh, this progression that it has, this idea of, you know, walking, sitting, and standing, and all this type of stuff, you notice that those are like the negative types of people. And I'm sure you probably have people in your life that may fit that. <laughs> but the psalmist is saying, not that. Don't walk in that way. But in this way, You can delight in the law of the Lord. That word delight is an interesting word, right? Delight communicates the idea of pleasure, the idea of having your enjoyment in something. The delight comes from a source. It originates from a place. Its genesis is from being in the word of God. Your enjoyment is in God's law. Now, the psalmist specifically has in mind the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the five books of of Moses. But we can say the entire book of the Bible, really. This idea of delighting in God's word. Now, some of you are probably here, I'm sure, and you may say this idea of being happy, uh, that doesn't fit you right now. Um, When you think about the idea of being happy and delighting in God's word and getting into your Bible, you may say, no, I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted with life, with children, with my work. Maybe you've even here and you've walked in through a loss of a family member. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're taking medication. And this idea of happiness is nowhere on your radar. And you cannot say, like that great theologian, Pharrell Williams, 
you're not happy. Well, first off, I want to say, um, in some, some sense, I want to validate your emotions and your feelings. Because those feelings are real. And truthfully speaking, we all go through a season or go through a time where we may not necessarily feel like getting into God's word. We may not feel like delighting and finding enjoyment in God's word, including me. Don't tell nobody. But even me, I get it. There's certain times and seasons where we wake up and we're like, man, this is not working. Or it feels like it's not working. And I want to say, as your pastor, one of your pastors, that is okay. It's okay to take those feelings and those emotions to God. But we can't stay there. Amen? We can start there, but we can't stay there. We have to also ask God to change our hearts in such a way that we can feel like delighting in his word. If we believe who God is, this is the one that created everything, right? This is the one that also hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we can say that God is sovereign in control over not only the universe, but over hearts. And he's sovereign in control over our hearts. And it's okay to say, Lord, I don't feel like this, but Lord, can you please change my heart? Can you change me in such a way that I can get to that point to delight in your word? This is interesting, too, because this language is repeated in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This idea of meditating on God's word. If I can ask a question for you. What do you delight in? What do you find enjoyment in? What do you find pleasure in? This is something that I think that whether you're a parent or maybe you're not a parent, but you've heard stories from other parents. I think what I'm about to explain, this can kind of resonate what I'm trying to get at, and I think what the psalmist is trying to get at, all right? So most of y'all know that I am a a father. I have a daughter. She's one years old, and 90% of the time, she is amazing. She's a really good baby. Um, I remember actually when we took uh, took her from the hospital, and a lot of people were like, Hey, how are you, how's sleep going? How's it going? And I was like, it's going great. Like, she's doing fine. You know, she sleeps through the night, everything like that. And some of the faces on, some of the looks on you guys' faces was kind of like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you know, she's good. But there's a 10%, not so much. 90% great, 10% not so much. And that's a good ratio. And I can say that because I see some of your children. Amen. Amen, somebody. And I'll take the 90 over the 10 any day. But this particular time, I believe it was about the third or fourth day we took her, we got her home. It was that week or something. And 2 o'clock in the morning, i never forget. 
Now, my wife and I, we're exhausted, we're tired, you know, it's kind of how it is. My daughter starts screaming to the top of her lungs, 2 o'clock in the morning. I look over to my wife, she's still asleep. I say, okay, Lord, I do not feel like going into that room to stop her from crying. I know Father's Day just passed and now you're looking at me like I'm a bad father, it's okay. Because I thought in my mind, I can let her cry herself to sleep. Because I did not want to get up out of my comfortable mattress to go and help her. And I remember angry almost, getting up out of bed. Oh, gosh, I got a daughter. I've got to go. Walk into the hallway, get into her room. And as soon as I get into her room, she stops crying. And as I approach her crib, Sam, the biggest smile on her face, she starts busting out laughing. In that moment, I delighted in her. No matter how I was feeling, no matter how, what was going on, no matter how much I didn't feel like taking care of her. When I actually went to do it, I instantly delighted in her. And then I started busting out laughing. I don't know what she was laughing at or anything, but I just started laughing and I changed her, gave her some milk. She went back to sleep. Sometimes, Roosevelt, in our lives, we don't feel like doing something. But God meets us in the action of doing it. Amen? I think there's something to that that I think that we all can resonate with. And that's why I say the first benefit, you will be happy. The second benefit is you will be fruitful and successful. You will be fruitful and successful. Verse 3 says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Now, the psalmist uses imagery of a tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. Trees are pretty important within our ecosystem. They contribute to the environment by providing oxygen by providing air quality. By the way, Arizona has one, uh, has one of the worst air qualities in the country. Trees also conserve water and they preserve oil. Trees are very essential. I actually didn't realize how important trees were until I was preparing for this sermon. I'm sure I probably learned this in high school somewhere, but I probably wasn't paying attention in class or something. But trees are very, very important. One of the most famous trees in the world is a giant sequoia tree named General Sherman. It can be found in California Sequoia National Park. It measures about 52,500 cubic feet, 
I know nobody knows what that means, so that means that it's about 275 feet tall. Some of y'all don't, still don't know what that means. So if I can break it down, uh, the former uh, Hall of Fame basketball player, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, yes? He's about seven foot, seven one, seven foot. Let's say he's about seven foot. That's like having 39 Shaquille O'Neal's stacked vertically that high. So we're talking very, very tall, very, very big. The General Sherman, Sherman tree is considered the largest tree by volume in the world. As you can see this picture here, this tree it looks stable. Uh, there's a firmness that's there. It, it, it's secure. But trees also symbolize life and fruitfulness. Amen? In the Bible, trees are significant as well. Not only just in our ecosystem, but also in the Bible. Trees appear on the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12. And it appears on the last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 2. It also appears throughout the entire Bible. The prophet Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. It says, thus saith the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Verse 7 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trust is the Lord, he is like a tree, there it is again, planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for it leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So as we think about this idea of meditating on God's word, I believe the psalmist is saying this, that in order for us to be fruitful, in order for us to be producing, we have to have a regular supply of nourishment and refreshment. If you don't know, in the ancient Near East, trees were planted closest to the bank where their root could reach the water supply. If you didn't know, water is the ultimate source for a tree. What I'm trying to say, Roosevelt, is if we represent the tree and God's word represents the water, then that means in order for us as God's people to be fruitful in life, in order for us to be stable in life, in order for us to be secure in life, in order for us to stand tall in life, in order for us to be successful in life, we need large quantities of God's word as our supply so that we can be all that he created us to be. Simply put, we need to meditate on the word of God. Why? Because it produces Growth. Amen? 
I'm not sure if any of you have ever tried to plant a young tree before. But young trees, newer trees, did you know that they need roughly about five gallons of water twice per week for three months? And then after that, they need 10 gallons of water for the remainder of the year. That's a lot of water, right? So if a tree needs that much water, then how much of God's word do you need to meditate on it continuously to sustain you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to guide you, and for you to meet with God? Maybe we need a lot of water. We need a lot of God's word through meditation, through reading it, through listening to it to getting the word of God in our hearts so it can be anchored in us when the storms of life come. Amen? Our leadership at this church is suggesting that you can meet with God this summer in the Psalms through the spiritual practice of meditation. By doing this, we can be fruitful, but it also says that we can be prosperous. And in all that we do, this is obviously in contrast to the wicked. I want to say a quick word about this idea of prosperous because someone can read this and maybe assume that the Bible is promoting some type of prosperity gospel of some sort. And for those that may not be familiar with the prosperity gospel is, uh, essentially its proponents of this movement contend that this faith that they have is the means by which believers appropriate the will of God and um, will receive uh, better health and better blessings of wealth. Uh, One African scholar says it this way, God in his grace can give us material prosperity, but prosperity does not come in a mechanical and passive way. Um, In other words, it's not like a works-based theology type of thing. Um, Let me say this. If someone is coming to God so that they can get riches and they can get wealth, then they are not really coming to the God of the Bible. They're coming to the idol of money or the idol of material possessions. And Jesus says something pretty striking about this idea. He says this in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. He says that you can't serve two masters. You got to pick one. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. With that said, there is a fruitfulness and successfulness in some sense in, in life Again, it doesn't mean that someone's going to necessarily going to be wealthy or be rich, but fruitfulness and successful can, successfulness can look a myriad of different ways. I think a lot of times when we think about prosperity, even, even that word, we automatically think of material possession. We automatic, automatically think about, about money. And God is sovereign and in control, and he can bless people how he chooses to bless people. But again, if you're coming to God for that, you're not really coming to God. Fruitfulness and successfulness in life 
can look so many different ways. I mean, this can look like for somebody uh, to have, 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 having healthy children. There's a fruitfulness and successfulness in that. You could be a gifted person that's able to build relational capital with people and be able to make disciples and have multiple disciples. There's a fruitfulness and successfulness in that. Maybe you have, God has blessed you and you have a thriving business and you're able to employ people and be able to give them money, of course, amen, but also uh, ways uh, for them to be able to flourish in their giftings. There's a fruitful and successfulness in that. It, it can look a myriad of different ways. So I don't want to get caught up on the, the money thing, but I just want to say that if a person is living a lifestyle that is characterized by righteousness, remember, righteousness and the, righteous and the wicked, and if they are living life to, to please God and to serve God genuinely from the heart, in some sense, their life will be fruitful and successful. Now, God is going to be the determining factor of what that actually looks like, though. Amen? So, benefits to meditation. You will be happy. In some sense, you'll be successful and fruitful. And then lastly, you will be known by Yahweh. You'll be known by Yahweh. Uh, Yahweh is the personal name of God. And the psalmist continues on with this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 6 says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That language of know there is, uh, is loving and intimate and relational. It's a personal knowing that cannot be replaced by anything. When the Lord knows you in this way, then you can have assurance and you can have confidence in your faith. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. When the Lord knows you, there is assurance and confidence that you can have in your walk with God. Back in January of this year, we gave the vision that we want Every person at Roosevelt to be what? Known by name. Those that are righteous, the Lord knows by name. The Lord knows them personally and intimately. So as I come to a close, how do you know that you are on the path of righteousness and not wickedness? Well, it's not only meditating on the word of God because it produces growth, but it, it's also having genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about trusting in, believing in Jesus. You know, in the end in the, in the time, at the end of time, there's going to be many people that say, that claim the name of Jesus. In fact, they're going to say, like, I did this in your name, and I did that, and I did that. And I did all of these things, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's, a mo that's one of the most sobering Bible passages in the scriptures. For the God of the universe to say, I don't know who you are.
we can know who God is and he can know who we are if we repent and believe and trust in the finished work at the cross. And at the cross is where we can find faith, is where we can find healing, is where we can find love, is where we can find compassion, is where we can find the God of the Bible, the one that created us and sustains us. The gospel is for people like me and you. And by faith, when we trust in Jesus, we can have a newness of life. We can have life everlasting. We can have life more abundantly. We can have life that is eternal. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you come, and maybe you're on a path or the road to wickedness, I want to invite you to be on the path to righteousness. And that comes through believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let me, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you that you do know us. You know us personally. You know us intimately. You know us because you saved us. And, Lord, we want to cry out to you and to trust you. And I ask, Lord, that you do something miraculous in this sermon series as we meet with you in the Psalms. Help us be able to meditate on your word day and night because it does produce growth. I ask, Lord, that you can embolden us and strengthen us so that we can carry out your mission to engage all people with all of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen.